What's up, everybody, and welcome to a special edition of Dogpile, hopefully your favorite Mississippi State baseball podcast. I am Brett Hudson. As I mentioned, we've got a special edition of the show for you today. Let's be honest, those of you that are working the, the podcast mediums the way you normally do, you know you're about to listen to an interview with Mississippi State assistant coach, hitting guru Jake Gotro. We'll get to that momentarily but of course as we do every episode we want to let you know that we are brought to you by mississippi land bank mslandbank.com for all of your land needs offices all across north mississippi visit the fine folks at mississippi land bank for all your land needs and we're also brought to you by jubilations cheesecake i think y'all have heard matt and i rave about their cheesecake on multiple occasions here on dogpile we even recorded an episode of dogpile from jubilations cheesecake earlier this year sipping on some coffee and some cheese and nibbling sipping on some coffee and nibbling on some cheesecake is that a is that a weird phrase to say i'll let y'all decide that anyway we did that earlier in the uh in the season and we think you should too we know a lot of you are going to be flocking to starkville and duty noble field for the starkville regional this weekend stop by west point give our friends at jubilation's cheesecake a shot right on the highway right there easy to easy to find them or you can find their cheesecakes in kroger i know they're at the local starkville kroger i passed by them they're oddly right by the produce section which is kind of strange that you would put cheesecake next to all the healthy stuff in the in the grocery store but that's neither here nor there jubilation's cheesecake thankful for their support of dog pile and everything we do here at Matt Wyatt Media. So as you know, you're here to listen to an interview with Jake Gotro. He's had a very interesting tenure at Mississippi State, to, to say the least, given the man that hired him here, Andy Canazero, lasted all of three games here at Mississippi State. But Gotro has, and, and we talk, we touch on this early in the interview, Gotro has actually become somewhat of a popular figure in not only in this program, but within its fan base because he's been given so much public credit by almost all of the hitters that that roll through here it's hard to find anyone that'll say a bad word about jake gotro and the gotro family at large really his his wife and their their two sons who also get a shout out uh later on in this interview so anyway uh he's had a very interesting time at mississippi state but it's also been very successful considering the first went to omaha and they're they're what 46 and 11 in, in the regular no 45 and 11 in, in the regular season off to a off to a great start and hosting a, a regional top eight national seed so he's been he's been a big part of the success here with the baseball program and his now two seasons with it and wanted to have him on to to share not only what he's done just in this role in the last two seasons but also some individual players uh, there's a lot there's a lot of guys on on this pr- team that we didn't really know about or know much about la- this time last year and now they're they're somewhat regular fixtures at least in pinch hit roles if not in in the daily lineup so we get some insight from him on that and then some some mainstays in the lineup it's kind of a wide-ranging interview with with jake gocho i thought it was very insightful i think y'all will learn a lot so i won't i won't take any more of your time here is my conversation with mississippi state assistant coach jake gocho well coach i appreciate your time uh, I know it's the busiest time of year, literally. So thank you for, for joining us. But first of all, I wanted to go into you kind of turning into a, a popular figure with this fan base as an assistant coach, because every time a hitter 
finds something in their swing and gets right, your name is one of the first things to come out of their out of their mouths. It happened with Marshall Gilbert. It happened with Josh Hatcher. It's happened with a few other guys over the course of the season. So have you have you come to terms with your popularity with the fan base yet? <laughs> um, well, I appreciate that very much, um, and it's my job, obviously, right? Yeah. Um, but I think you have to give a lot of credit to the kids. Obviously, I'm not the one. I always tell everybody I'm not the one hitting. I'm not the one with a bat in my hands. But uh, they're a really good group, just of kids. They're really talented players, and I always say that um, good players make you a good coach. You know, <laughs> and so um, we go, we go, we get after it every day. You know, and everybody's different, and you have to understand what makes each guy tick. Um, swings are different, setups are different, brains are different, and so. Um, we kind of grind through this thing every single day. You know, there's, it's not like everybody feels perfect every day. You know, no yeah. matter how good you feel, you may hit a little bit of a, a rut or a slide. Uh, my job is to try to keep them positive and um, minimize the struggles. We know the struggles are coming. Uh, my job is to try to be there and uh, instead of instead of a one for twenty or whatever it may be, make it a one for seven or mm. you know you get what I'm saying there. Yeah, yeah, I've I've noticed that that kind of ideology of keeping guys feeling okay and, and tailoring it to different guys and different swings. I've I've heard that's a string a strong suit of yours, both from players here and then players in in your past. How do you kind of juggle? However many hitters are on a roster. How many do you have here? Eighteen. Yes. Yeah. Eighteen. I mean, how how do you kind of juggle eighteen different swings and eighteen different personalities to have all of them trending in the correct direction at the same time? I say it all the time. I think the number one most important thing as a coach in general is to never forget how hard the game is. And uh, I was fortunate to play for a long time, and I struggled a lot at a very high level, you know. <laughs> and so, I think sometimes when coaches get really upset and frustrated and, and, and they're freaking out about an at-bat here or there, I I usually don't freak out like that mm-hmm. because I know I've been there, I've lived it. And so just the power of the mind and the power of being positive and confidence is, is huge. They're all really good players or they wouldn't be here. Mm-hmm. Um, they all bring something different to the table. But just trying to keep them upbeat and confident and believing in themselves, I, I, I think, is the biggest piece of it. And, hey, there's going to be times where it's just not going well. You know, and sometimes we can't just reboot them and, and get them back on track. But unfortunately, that's the game of baseball. Mm-hmm. And it's cruel, and we love it, and it's just—it's all part of it. You know. So, one more thing I did want to touch on before I get to individual hitters on this year's team was I was kind of interested in how three hitting guys on staff with Coach Lamonas and Coach Cheesebro would kind of divide up duties or just kind of share that that brain trust. And I was asking him, Lamonas, about. Foscu earlier and how he kind of worked through it in the fall and and didn't have a, a great fall and then kind of worked through some swing changes in the winter and came back a completely different guy and he said you were responsible for the the swing change things that y'all do or just kind of swing tinkering so I'm, I'm kind of curious as to how you would describe the division of duties among the the three hitting brains on on this staff and how y'all have kind of brought your minds together to make this offense what it is I think the most important piece and it starts. With Coach Lem, um, there's zero egos on the coaching staff, right? Mm-hmm. And so um, we all have some similar philosophies. Uh, there's no egos. Nobody wants the credit or wants to be in charge. But Lem from day one has said exactly what you said. Hey, we're all in this thing together, and, and we all have hitting backgrounds, but you're the hitting coach. There needs to be one voice. And so um, we work together as a coaching staff 
uh, but it's really important to him that it is it is one voice. If all of a sudden there's two or three, it, it could become really challenging for a player. It's hard enough as it is, you know, and yeah. when you have three different voices, it can be tricky. So we have no egos. We're all in it together. Uh, we discuss everything under the moon together, and uh, we come up with a plan. So he is actually, I think, the person responsible for the Foskey piece. Yes, I'm with Foskey every day, and we're working through the swing, but I thought it was a really neat deal, and it, it wasn't um, it wasn't in a bad way. After the end of the fall, he does his fall evaluations of all the players, and he basically just told Foss that Foss didn't scare him in the box in regards to right. a threat, a power threat to yeah. strength, because we knew it was in there. And um, Foss is the kind of kid that loves to be coached, and he loves the information, and so when Lynn told him that, it got under his skin a little bit, and mm-hmm. he, he wanted to be scary in the box. And so we found a way for him to be scary. And it, I think that was a big wake-up call for, for Foskey in a good way. He'll probably tell you the same. He, he asked? Yeah, you know, he, he told me the same one day. But um, he's been great. And it was just being in a little more of a, a different spot in regards to the stance and creating more separation for himself. And with separation came more power and had an amazing year for us. So one of the things about this year's team that I think makes it as good as it is is that it's deeper than arguably anything else in, in college baseball. Like when you come back from well, y'all had Omaha last year, you know what you're getting out of Westy and Foscue, Mangum, uh, Rowdy, even List Tanner Allen, List goes down the line, but it's guys like Josh Hatcher and guys like Dustin Skelton who've continued from what he was at the end of last season that makes this thing as good as it is because realistically y'all have anywhere between what maybe 12 and 14 guys that can legitimately get an at-bat and a good at-bat in any given game so I kind of wanted to go through a few of those guys that have made it deeper some of those guys that weren't proven commodities by the end of June last year and, and since have become that so with Dustin Skelton he he we, he and I talked late last year. He said he focused on hitting the inside half of the baseball. Is it just that simple? Has he continued to prioritize that and, and hit the way he has this year? You know, it was that simple last year, and it sounds crazy, but you, you can explain all sorts of different things, and sometimes you, there's three different ways to say one thing, but this one thing will stick, yes. you know? And so that started with the inside part of the ball for Dustin last year, and he did a great job. Dustin's extremely talented. I always saw it. He has freakish power in there with very little effort. It's a really nice swing. Um, So lately, um, it's been a lot more than that, but it's also been very simple. Like We try to keep it as simple as possible. I don't want to make this thing too complex. Mm -hmm. Um, He is in a better position, starting position to hit. Um, He is still staying inside the ball. He's using the entire field. But he's really, really staying behind the ball. He's staying behind his front side. Sometimes he would leak and he would drift and it would cause everything to kind of lose connection. Now he's staying more intact, staying behind the ball, and it just creates a better path, a more consistent path, and a lot more strength consistently. So all of a sudden Mm -hmm. you look up and he's got, what, 10 homers? Um, He always had that in him. He just didn't quite know how to get to it. Mm -hmm. And so he's been been awesome. Um, Maturing as a person, as a player, as a hitter, and really bought in, and he's kind of like another coach. He's really into all of it, and you hear him talking to the other guys about what he's doing, and um, he's had a great year. He's been a huge part of the success, obviously. Josh Hatcher was the hottest hitter in college baseball for a weekend out of his freshman year, and he really slowed down to the point where he just wasn't in the lineup much. But now he's a pretty consistent fixture, particularly against 
against lefties, no, against righties, against righties. Uh, what what did what changed with him? First of all, for Hatch, I, I have to give him major props in, um, I guess, how much he's matured. And it it's not that he shouldn't have or that I didn't think he was going to. It's mm-hmm. just that um, you see all these guys mature at a certain time. Maybe it's not the first year or the second year. Maybe it's later. Sometimes it's earlier. But for Hatch, he's a very, very talented player. We'd always seen that. Uh, he wasn't seeing the field as much as he wanted to, plain and simple. But he was, he's was he been a great teammate. He's continued to work. He's had fun. And when he got his opportunity here recently, um, he's had plenty of opportunities this year, and he's done well. But recently, he went off. That was a South Carolina series, right? Yes, yes. And, you know, everybody's watching those games and seeing those home runs, and it was freakish, right? He <laughs> went off the middle of the batter's eye in center field. It's hard to even leave the yard here yeah. in the center um, but he has that in him, and for him it's as simple as staying closed and staying short to the baseball. Sometimes Hatch tries to um, kind of spin out of there a little bit early, once again losing some connection, losing his barrel bow, and he stays close and strong, and we, we call it staying above it and staying through it. The ball explodes off his bat, but super talented, um, left-handed hitter. And he just stayed the course, and he's been a great teammate, and he's had some really big at-bats and big games for us. How, how do you think him staying closed in his swing impacts his ability to hit breaking balls, which was something he, he kind of had trouble with right. last year? It's as simple as when the breaking ball is an off-speed pitch and it's slower, and so you have to really, really stay in there. You have to stay closed and let that ball get to you, mm-hmm. right? Um, sometimes we can, we can pull off and bail on a fastball, and because of the velocity of the pitch, it's on us and we can actually make it work a little bit. But with the off-speed, um, if we bail on it and we're out of there, it, it makes it really challenging. And so the fact that he's been able to stay in there and stay strong and stay close and let that breaking ball or the changeup get to him um, and hit that ball in the middle of the field is, is where he's had his, his success. You know, um, Nobody's perfectly consistent across the board every single day. Like It's really challenging. He still gets in trouble sometimes when he tries to spin out of there early, but when he stays close and stays on time, it's it's pretty impressive. And then Marshall Gilbert coming on recently, he he told me that it took y'all a few weeks to really get on the same page and and be going in the same direction. But once y'all did, the the results speak for themselves. What's the most ideal version of him and his swing? His brain. <laughs> <laughs> and I tell him all the time, he's a thinker, like a really really in depth thinker. You know, sometimes I laugh laugh with him and. It'll be before a game or after a game, and have a good game, and I'll come over and talk to him and say, hey, by the way, that was a nice game. Today before the game, when you came up to me and talked to me about this or that, I had no idea what you were talking about. You know that, right? And he, and he laughs um, just because he, he makes it so complex. Um, but in his defense, he does. He's starting to really get an idea of how his body and how his swing works and how to get on plane. And so um, when Marshall feels good and the most simplest things are making sense to him, and he's confident. He's he's got a chance to be as good as anybody. And when you have him down there in the nine hole, and he's hitting north of three hundred, and he's got home runs, and he's hitting them to all fields. I mean, he's he's dangerous. There's also a few newcomers that have made this this bench what it is. Luke Hancock has come on recently as another left-handed option. He was one that took him a few weeks to really settle in and, and find that version of himself. What did he find in those first few weeks? Luke is very very tough. Um, very strong-minded, very confident, very mature for his age. And he's, his game is – he's got a, a very nice, complete game. He can, he can catch, he can throw. Um, while he's a freshman, he's mature enough to lead his staff. He has a presence about him. But he knows his game. Um, as a hitter, 
It's a very simple setup and swing. Mm-hmm. It's a very simple approach. There's not a whole lot of going, not a whole lot going on. Not a lot of moving parts, and he just stays who he is, you know. And so now, you're starting to see him get more abs and become more confident. Um, but he doesn't stray. He is exactly who he is. He knows what his job is. He tries to hit line drives in the middle of the field. He stays on balls well. Um, he has a very very good idea of the strike zone. Um, sometimes I get on him for being too selective. You know, I feel like he <laughs> takes some pitches that he can drive. But just has a really good presence about him, and um, he's been great for us this year, and he'll be great for us as he continues to mature here. And Brad Cumbus is one that really interested me because he was obviously next door and all fall when y'all were over here getting valuable reps in, and there were even times where he was over on the practice field when y'all were on the practice field here in, in the spring, but it hasn't seemed to have slowed him down. He's still – he converts when he's on the field, whenever whenever that might be. What what do you see in him? As a, as Brad a, is really really interesting. Um, everybody sees the physicality and the power and the speed, and he's a plus defender and can throw. He is a real baseball player, and what I mean by that is usually when these things happen, um, they never really work out. You know what I'm saying? The the guy that looks like he's supposed to be a really good player but played at a really small high school and never really played a lot of competitive travel ball or select ball in Mm -hmm. high school, he's behind in reps, and it seemed too good to be true early. And the truth is it's not too good to be true. He is behind in reps compared to everybody else that's here with us because they've been playing at a very competitive level of baseball since they were probably 12. Um, The football piece has taken that away from Brad, but there is a very complete baseball player in there yet it's still very raw, if that makes any sense. So just when you think he's not going to understand something or be able to do something, execute something, he does. Uh, You just want to have him year-round because because there's so much more in there. So um, I'm sure Coach Moorhead feels the same. Yeah, exactly, right? (laughs) So um, we understand understand how this thing works. Coach Moorhead has been unbelievable in allowing us to have him. Uh, This relationship has worked out at an incredible rate, and... As long as he continues to get his reps in and, and get at bats and and work with us, he's going to be a really really good player for us. There was one game, I think it was the South Carolina series, where he homered and he he really got behind one a little bit. And I think that was something the fan base was looking forward to, like seeing a man of his size really put a charge into into a ball. That is that something that could happen even more often once he gets. Well, yeah, and reps? what's scary and funny here is. Brad didn't even get that one good, right? Really? Seriously. I mean, obviously he got it good enough to hit it out the dead center field. <laughs> but um, but that, was, that wasn't even close to being Brad's best bolt. You know, um, everybody comes up and says, Coach, how excited are you to see Brad in a game just absolutely get into one with his best bolt? And, you know, we're, yeah, we're, we're waiting for it. Um, <laughs> the, the power to the pull side is um, kind of in a league of his own, mm-hmm. you know, and he's still learning to tap into that power. I mean, he'll hit balls off the base of the loft and left center. It's a long, long way. Good Lord. He hits balls that leave the entire stadium to left. You know, it's yeah. it's um, it's incredible power and bat speed, and he's still learning as we go. But, um, yeah, we finally got to see him hit one in the game, and I was happy for him. Yeah. It was, um, at the time, he was thinking a lot in his at-bats and in batting practice, and we said, hey, just go up there and hit. Don't think too much, and there you go. Hits mm-hmm. him on the dead center, so we were, we were fired up for him. And Gunnar Halter, defense was the story of, of his season for the first probably six weeks or so, but now he's he's become a bat that's kind of tough to take out of the lineup at times, even if you have to pinch hit him to get an A-B or two. That's, that's what you all have done at times with him. What got right with him? Gunnar is a 
is extremely talented, and we knew that coming in. Um, it, it's a complete game. He's a very talented player across the board, um, and it happens with everybody when they get here. Um, it just happens at a different level of not sure if they belong early or doubt themselves a little bit. Um, so he was still trying to find his way, and he'll tell you, and I'll tell you, he didn't perform um, across the board like he wanted to early, mm-hmm. but just like you said, yes, he's been been really good now for a long time. You know, he does he does very well against lefties, and at first that's kind of how the success started. He was doing well against lefties, but then he was seeing really good right-handed pitching in our league, and he was doing the same against them. So I think he's finally started to relax and just allow himself to be him, and you've seen him have um, have really good at-bats now for the last couple months. And the last newcomer is Landon Jordan. He's, he's a guy who's kind of carved out a, a role for him at different points throughout the, the season. He was he was a guy that impressed you mentally early, right? Yeah, just really sharp, and we use the word aptitude a lot. You know, um, maybe he would have a bad at-bat in, in the fall against a left-handed pitcher. I'd call him over, ask him what he was thinking, um, tell him maybe you should think about this or maybe look for this pitch in this count and try to hit this ball into left center field, you know, try to stay on this one. And he would look at me and he'd say yes, sir, and his next at bat, he would get that pitch in that count and he would hit it to left center field. You know, like, and it, it was kind of happening all the time. He had 470. He led our team in the fall. He's kind of like Luke Hancock where it's a very simple approach, um, a very nice, easy swing, mm-hmm. a simple swing. And he's not playing every day, but he's still working every day trying to tap into a little more power because there's a lot more power in there. Yeah. He just didn't quite know how to get to it yet. You saw him, it was either a pinch hit or it was when he was in the game for us, what, a couple weeks ago, the left-on-left homer that yes. went way out to right. You know, everybody's eyes kind of got big, but it's in there. He's just still he's still learning just like everybody else is. And a couple more, just not, not on newcomers, but in, in general. I think everyone remembers the slums that Tanner and Rowdy went through early in the year, but we, we didn't really hear anything about drastic changes they were they were going through or, or strange measures other than maybe eye black for Rowdy. Um, what is your role when you have a proven guy like that in a slump where you know good ABs and good hits are in there and they just aren't happening at that point in time? What's your role in a slump like that? My role as a coach? Yeah. Um, stay the course and not panic. You know, um, as soon as I go off the beaten path or as soon as I kind of start to panic or you start trying to reinvent the wheel they look at you like hey what are you what's wrong with you why are you panicking? <laughs> what are you doing you know and so um my job is just to be very real with them hey you're not having the at-bats that you want to have right now I know you're one of the best hitters in the country you've proven it your whole life you proved it last year unfortunately this is baseball um and I try to keep it simple I try to find the, the most simple things to get them going again you know mm-hmm. um Everybody can be stubborn at times and think that they have it figured out, and sometimes they do, and sometimes I think I do, and maybe I don't. The communication piece is huge. I always tell them, hey, if, if we're working through something, if you don't like what I'm saying, tell me. If it doesn't feel good, tell me. If you like it, tell me, you know, so I know we're making progress. And it's funny you asked me about those two because this morning in BP, I don't know how it came up, I was sitting with both of them, and uh, we talked about their start, and I think... I don't look at numbers too much. I really don't. I just try to think about having quality at bats and these guys scoring runs. But um, I told Rowdy, like, hey, okay, you're at, I don't even know what he's at, 270, 280, 290, wherever he is. There was a time where he was at 160 for a long time, right? And it wasn't good, and we all knew it. But I said, Rowdy, think about where you are now. 
You know, I know you want to be hitting 350, but think about how far you've come. It's not easy. And then Tanner, the same thing. And Tanner was struggling for a good, what, at least a month. Yeah. And you saw that average fall, and we just stayed the course with him. And all of a sudden you look up, and I think it was a week and a half ago, Lem was sitting, I mean, the dugout, and I said, I mean, he's in 350. He was like at 349 or something, you know? Um, so it's just a testament to those guys and those guys staying the course and staying positive and just trusting that they're really good hitters and understanding that it's part of the game. And every once in a while, you're going to have you're going to have that rut. Um, we made some very small adjustments. We didn't reinvent the wheel. Um, didn't we didn't get there immediately? But once we found it and once they bought into it, then it was uh, they were kind of off and running. You so, know, and it always seems like it ends up being the less is more piece. Yeah, they always want to make it really complicated, and they want to make up for lost time with one swing of the bat and want to hit a homer or a grand slam. And realistically, no, like back off it a little bit. Keep it really simple, and that's how we usually get back on track. Yeah, you can't hit the nine-run home run. No doubt about can't, it. Can't do it. Well, so what do you look at? So, I mean, you just mentioned you don't really look at numbers. You just kind of compile a, a database in your head of quality at-bats and all that. Yeah, so what so, do you look at? So at the end of every week, um, so Monday morning, we have quality at-bat charts, and um, we post them in the locker room, in the hitting tunnel, in the dugout. We post them everywhere so people are aware. Um, I look at guys being comfortable in the box. I mean, I listen, I know their numbers because they're on the scoreboard every game, and I, I just happen to see them. But, like, regarding the, the stat sheet, I really don't dig into that too much. Um, I want our guys to be comfortable, and I want us to have a quality at bat. You know, and the, you can break it down all sorts of ways. Um, I always tell them, if you don't worry about your own personal success, you just worry about having a good team at bat, a quality at bat, you look up and you win the ball game and all of a sudden you've scored 12 runs and he has 16 hits and everybody has success from that piece. So I want them to be confident, I want them to be aggressive, and I want them to be in a, in a good, comfortable spot in the box yeah. and just kind of do what they do. You know, if we have runners in scoring position, obviously we, we want to do a good job of having a plan, but when they're confident and comfortable and they stick to their plan, um, I always tell them every, I tell them every single day, it doesn't matter who's on the mound. And it really doesn't, and they've proven it. Doesn't matter who's on the mound. If we stick to our approach, we will get them. Mm -hmm. You know, and every once in a blue moon, you stick to your approach, and you have really good at bats, and, and you don't win the ball game. And, and that, it is what it is. Yeah. We don't try to overthink that piece too much. It's hey, you did what you're supposed to do tonight. You lined out ten times. You know, whatever it may be. Like in that LSU game, you actually lined out ten Sunday, times. Sunday, <laughs> right? You know. And then we got him again in the conference tournament. Uh, we watched a lot of video. We had a really good plan. Yeah, we thought we know, knew what he was going to do, and he did. And we attacked him the way we were supposed to attack him, and he was out of the game before he knew it. You know, yeah. so um, I just think you can you can make this thing really complicated, and uh, I just try to keep it as simple as possible for him. So my my last one: What makes Jake Mangum a good leadoff hitter? Um. Well, it's funny you ask that because uh, I, obviously I've become really close to Jake since I've been here, and. Um, I give him a hard time sometimes about, about being a good leadoff hitter, right? I'd love nothing more than to give Jake Mangum a hard time. Oh, so I know that about if it. You could, if you so, give us a name, that'd be great. Um, we'll keep it simple. Jake, if you want to go early in the count, if you want to swing at the first pitch and you have success, I'm never going to say anything, okay? <laughs> but if you keep swinging at the pitch, the change up down, the first pitch of the game, that's the ball or... The slider lowing in and rolling over it, you keep doing that, first of all, you're not helping yourself, you're not helping the club. 
you know, and so then he understands. He totally gets it. Yeah. Um, there was there was a stretch there for over a month where he was swinging in anything and everything, and he was getting hits on anything and everything. So you just stay out of his way. It may or may not have coincided with that record chase. There you get funny how those two things. There you correlate. go. Uh, every once in a while, we talk about pulling the reins back a little bit. You you don't want to pull the reins back on Jake Mangum because he's such a special hitter and incredible competitor. But every once in a while, he gets so competitive and he wants to win so bad that he will get a little, little over anxious. So um, I will pull the reins back every once in a blue moon on him mm-hmm. in that situation. But what makes him great is he's a great player. He's a great hitter. He can do all sorts of things. He may not hit a ball well, but beat it out. Um, he has a real good idea of what he's trying to do. He, he told me at some point in the year, left-handed coach, if this guy throws me a fastball away, I'm just going to hit it in the six hole on the ground and the shortstop has to move two steps to his right. I know I'm beating it out. You know, yeah. So he's got all these thoughts going through his mind, but what makes him a great leadoff hitter is he's an incredible hitter. He hits from both sides of the plate and he can really, really run. Um, and he's going to step in the box and he is going to beat you. He is going to will himself to win that at bat. You know, um, I tell everybody all the time, we all know he's talented. Everybody comes to the ballpark and sees what he does, and everybody knows the stats and the hits and all this kind of stuff. But if I coach for 30, 30 more years, I will never, ever come across another player like him in regards to the competitive piece, yeah. the confidence piece, and the bringing it every single day. And that's that's something that's really gotten the opportunity to shine now that he doesn't have Eddie Furness's shadow hanging over him everywhere he goes. No doubt. I mean... Something was really cool. I saw something on Twitter the other day about somebody said their nine-year-old started their little coach pitch league or whatever it may be, and he's flying around the field, on and off the field, running down the line, and Dad said, what are you doing? He said, I'm just trying to play like Jake Mangum. You know, and if my kids, if somebody at some point in my life says that about my two sons, I'm just trying to play like Liam or, or Weston Gotro, and that's the piece. They're playing hard. They're playing every game like it's la- like it's their last that would make me a really proud father, you know. So you, you think about John Mangum there and, and everything that they've they've worked through his whole life and the yeah. motor that Jake has, and it's just really it's just a really impressive motor competitor and um, the will to win pieces on a different planet. How old are your two boys? These Six days? and my youngest just turned four. So their uh, their their days of terrorizing little league parks are are coming up pretty soon. They're coming, they are little baseball rats. They are living and dying with every pitch here. <laughs> um, they are all in. Um, they love hotel rooms in the postseason because they travel with me. And well, so, thank God. So cause... they're a little fired up that they don't get it. They don't get that hosting at the dude is a good thing. They want to be back at Florida State. Um, <laughs> make, they, they turn the hotel rooms into a bouncy house as soon as they get there. They jump from bed to bed, but they love being at Florida State. They love being at Vandy, and they love being at Omaha because they love being in hotels. So they were really <laughs> upset we had to leave Hoover last week. Mm. But um, they all they know is last year was their first year, and like I said, they're they're baseball rats and they know the game. It's pretty crazy. They uh, all they know is you move to Mississippi State, Dad takes the job, and you go to Omaha, and here we here we are. <laughs> Here we are again this year. That's a mighty dangerous precedent. It's very dangerous because they don't like to lose. They can't handle it. So um, hopefully we keep winning for the two two little guys because they don't like to lose. Well, if you if you hear a lot of racket in a hotel room next door to you in Omaha, there is at least a small percent chance that it's the Gotro family. Hundred percent, not small. Hundred percent. My two kids. 
I have to threaten them that the, uh, the general manager is going to come up and make us leave the hotel to calm them down. <laughs> they're playing baseball, they're jumping from bed to bed, it's just it's what they do. And they have fun, so I let them enjoy it. <laughs> as long as people are getting sleep. True, true. Especially the players. And that's right. They're getting sleep. Well, I appreciate it, Coach. Yeah, Thanks man. for your time, man. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Thank you. Again, just thrilled with the time we got with uh, with Jay Gotro. Appreciate him joining us here on Dogpile and appreciate y'all for hitting that like button and that subscribe button. Give us a solid rating, a five-star rating, please. We'd, we'd greatly appreciate that because we've got a bunch of content coming for you for the rest of the Starkville Regional and, of course, beyond that if Mississippi State does win the Starkville Regional. So the best way to get all of that is to first subscribe to Dogpile because we're going to go daily during the, the weekends of, of the Starkville Regional, in theory, the Starkville Super Regional, and then in Omaha, if the Bulldogs are able to get there, will be daily during those uh, those times of play. And we've also got the written content on the MattWyattMedia.com website, the Hudson Report blog there. Find me on Twitter at Brett underscore Hudson. Also, go like the Matt Wyatt Media Facebook page, facebook.com slash Radio Wyatt. I'll go live from that Facebook page after games while Mississippi State is alive and kicking in the postseason. The the postseason is the season of content, and we're definitely going to give that to you here at Matt Wyatt Media. So follow me on Twitter at Brett underscore Hudson. Throw Dogpile a subscribe while you're here. If you haven't already, go like the Facebook page, facebook.com slash Radio Wyatt. There's there's a lot coming for you in the postseason, and, and we can't wait to deliver it to you. Thank you for listening, and we will talk to you all much sooner than we normally do.